Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll get you help getting your show out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get it all for just $15 a month. The same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial startup. So whether you're starting from scratch or you have an existing show, that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com front slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find more. And that's bwhustle.com slash join. What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. Very quick intro here because I want to get to the interview that I did with Andrew Zarian, the host of the Mat Men Wrestling Podcast. Andrew has such a great um, story when it comes to doing podcasts. Like He was in really early with podcasts. He and I have a similar experience uh, as youngsters listening to radio and radio being like a very predominant medium for both of us. So I love talking to Andrew about his experience. You know, he's a big Stern guy. And up until the serious days, uh, I was a big Stern guy. Like he said he was listening like in junior high school or something. I think I would have started listening like sophomore, junior year of high school, all the way through college, and then through probably that first year when he went to uh, Sirius. But, you know, just so many different things to listen to at that point. I think I was getting well into a little bit of the early podcasting stuff, so my satellite radio subscription dropped off there. Uh, but Stern's the master, and the fact that he and I are both big fans uh, probably has us with some related experiences with radio and also probably why we wanted to get into the podcasting medium. But he's got a great story. Um, Really fun talk to him. I was on their watch along before the Royal Rumble, and I hope to do more stuff with him and Rich at Matt Men. Uh, Just quick thing. I got to mention this every time. Our Patreon is doing uh, really well as far as the content is concerned. Uh, We're putting up a lot of different shows over the weekend. We put up uh, Write That Down with uh, Fumi Saito and Justin Nipper, part one of their Keiji Muto discussion. And uh, also coming up will be our uh, continuation of the Karate Kid podcast. That will be um, in in another, another about seven or eight days. Uh, we'll have the first episode of the Cobra Kai discussion that uh, Chris DiPatrillo and I 
will have, and a bunch of other stuff coming out, especially when it comes to my own Ball So Hard podcast, which is more pop culture. I'll be talking the first ever season of Real World. We could get some discussion on Janet Jackson's Control. It was the 35th anniversary recently. Going to bring back my uh, my buddy, Big Money Mike. And uh, Coming to America, which is uh, Chris De- uh, Christy Patricia... Uh, excuse me. I, I don't know why I screw up Chris's last name so often. Chris Patrillo and I... With coming with the the sequel to Coming to America coming out to Amazon Prime, he and I are going to review the first Coming to America, and then we're going to review the the sequel when it actually hits. So we'll have that in the Ball So Hard uh, podcast feed, which is in our two ninety nine um, uh, tier. So if you want to hear me talk stuff outside of wrestling pop culture, TV, movies, music, uh, that is in our first tier. And we're going to have some stuff with Dave Meltzer soon as well. We'll do our Q&A with him uh, fairly soon, probably early March. The one thing I wanted to mention is for those of you who are thinking about subscribing to the $7.99 tier, because of the way that uh, Patreon bills, I would wait until March 1st because they're going to bill on the first of the month anyways. Basically, if you were to subscribe now, they would charge you now and then you would get billed a week later. The reason why they charge you in full for both is because you have access to everything in the network. And so it's also a billing thing for them. So not that you have to, but if, you know, I just want to let you all know, subscribe on the first. It is much easier so that you know, you know, when when you are going to be charged again. The two ninety nine subscriptions, maybe you're less worried about that because it's much cheaper. But um, just wanted to give everybody a heads up. You know, we love our subscribers. And if you want to subscribe, you know, we want to take care of you guys too. I don't want you to get... What you what you may think is like a double charge or something. So, anyways, all right, let's uh, let's throw it to my interview with Andrew, and uh, let's get that going. Really great conversation. I think I, I I don't know if I mentioned, but he and Rich their their show, the video feed of their show, is now also on F4W Online slash Wrestling Observer. So, congrats to those guys. Talk to Andrew. All right, I want to welcome Andrew Zarian to the show. You and I, I've been following you on Twitter for many years now, and we finally had a chance to sync up on your show before the Royal Rumble, and that was a lot of fun, and immediately my thought was like, oh, I need to get him on my show, so I really appreciate you coming on and hanging out with me here today. Dude, I, I, I've, I've secretly been a big fan of yours. I've been listening to you and Dave for, for a while now, and I followed your stuff, and I follow you on Twitter. And it's one of those things where I, I for years, I'm like, I want to message Garrett and ask him to come on the show. We could do something because, you know, our, our styles kind of flow and they work together well from, based on hearing you and Dave, you know, in your podcast, hearing how you, how you conduct them. And it's just one of those things where I think I messaged you like six months ago, like, hey, love to have you on. You're like, yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, life happens. Yes. And <laughs> and you kind of you kind of forget. And now that, you know, Matt Men, my, my podcast is on uh, F4W. I thought it was a perfect time to, to get you on definitely and kind of get the ball rolling with with this. No, it's 100 percent. And I actually wanted to ask you about that first, because, you know, it looks like. I, I, I'm not in the the war room with F4W and thinking through strategies and stuff, but they are investing a lot more in, in on the video side of things. And you guys have like 
a tremendous video podcast. Like that was the thing when I when I started clicking through your guys' shows, I was like, wow, like there's a real investment here to make this thing look sweet, to to have, you know, more than one camera. And then obviously you guys are, are really good with the audio stuff. So when I saw that, you know, they that they signed up Denise and that they signed up you guys, I was like, oh, wow, this is an investment in in people who really know how to do video, which is different from doing audio. Like you and I are talking here now, but I don't have to really care about what I'm doing with my hands. I don't have to care about where my head is turned. Like there's a, there's a thing that you guys have to think about when it comes to video, but tell me that whole story of like, how did you guys get hooked up with uh, F4W? Uh, it's actually, um, I always say it, it, the world is a lot smaller, smaller than people think it is. Uh, I, I have a, I, I should start off. I've been reading the observer since probably 98, Right. I was probably 15 years old or 16 years old. So I've been a subscriber of The Observer for a while. And I think they mentioned it in one of the issues that there's this thing called the IATA and there's an audio version of the Wrestling Observer show. You know, there's a radio show. So I, I remember I discovered, obviously, The Observer and Brian through IATA, which I, I we could definitely talk about because that that plays a huge part in getting for me to get, in, get into broadcasting. But I um Always been a huge wrestling fan my entire life. And uh, as an Observer subscriber, uh, I interviewed Brian on a podcast that I was doing at the time. It was called the IAIB Spotlight, where we would put a spotlight on Internet broadcasters and podcasters and even radio personalities that I personally found interesting, that they were doing something a little different or a little unique. And I had messaged Dave to come on to talk about IATA. And I can't remember if probably the email was forwarded to Brian or uh, because Brian's more of the radio guy or I, I finally reached out to Brian. But Brian was like, hell, yeah, let's do it. And he came on it's probably like 2013. Oh, wow. So a while ago he came on and it went great. I mean, I absolutely love talking to him about broadcasting and I didn't really know if he was that into the technical aspect of it. And he was. Uh, and we kind of connected on that. And for the last, I guess, seven years or so, we've always gone back and forth on Twitter. And uh, a couple of months ago, I was approached by a couple, actually two two different, I guess, wrestling coverage websites approached us to ask, you know, do we want to kind of lend them our show or they could syndicate our show? So at the same time, I was like, you know what? I've always been a fan of Brian and Dave and everything that's going on over at, at F4W and The Observer. So I reached out to Tony from the wrestling observer mm -hmm. and uh, from F4W. And he said, Hey, I absolutely love what you guys do. The video looks great. You guys sound good. Brian said he really enjoys the show when he comes on, let's do it. And it was just like that. You know, it took like three days and we were on a little inside F4W. Tony leader is kind of the yes. one who runs the runs this behind the scenes stuff. I like, I like to put a, the in between Tony and leader. He's Tony, the, the leader, Tony, the leader. <laughs> well, you know what? I've been talking to him and definitely is. He, he's a very smart guy and he really has his uh, eye on the ball. Yeah. Sometimes uh, if, if he's, is trying to explain something to Dave and they are not really understanding each other. I will play liaison <laughs> and go, Oh, here's, here's what exactly what Dave, this is what Dave means. And Tony, this is what Tony means. So I, I tend uh, to do that a lot with my, with my, with all my jobs. I'm always that guy that translates. Okay. So, uh, obviously the podcast, um, 
that that you do with Rich is is excellent and it's a lot of fun. But let's go back even further and then we'll come back to kind of uh, the podcast. Your wrestling fandom origin story. Like, I, I feel like a lot of us who still are watching, you know, past uh, when we're little kids, like we have a specific way that or a specific reason that we stuck with it. But let's go back to how you started watching and then like kind of why you're still a fan. Uh, definitely my dad. My dad was a huge wrestling fan. Uh, and that's because my grandfather was a pro bodybuilder. And my father was also a bodybuilder. I didn't get that genetic, unfortunately for me. Uh, I didn't get that that unbelievable Adonis-like body gene. Come on, you're showing your shoulders in your Twitter profile. Come on. Well, yeah, listen, I, I, I can work out a little bit. I'm mm-hmm. actually shaking my pecs a little bit while we're talking right now. <laughs> Nobody could see it. but uh, So my grandfather was, a, was, I mean, a legitimate competitive bodybuilder in the 50s and, and probably late 40s. And my father was, you know, he didn't do it competitively, but he was a big, you know, Venice Beach uh, Gold's gym type guy, you know? Oh, yeah. And my grandfather, in a bizarre way, had an in with Bruno and it would work out together here in New York occasionally. I mean, when my, when my grandfather and they became like workout buddies for a little bit because of their weird bodybuilding friends that they had. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Also, yeah. And also, my grandfather, strangely enough, had a weird connection with the Iron Sheik because my grandfather lived in Iran. And he used to work out with this guy named Takti and Takti was their uh, Olympic gold medalist, you know, their greatest Greco-Roman Olympic level wrestler, Olympic level wrestler that the country had. And it was a lot of um, there was a, he, he ended up passing away. He was there's a lot of speculation whether or not he committed suicide or mm. he, he he was killed because he was very much against the government. But his I guess his apprentice at the time would have been a very young Iron Sheik. And my grandfather would tell me that there was this kid. He was a pain in the butt that would hang out with him and Tacti and they would work out at the gym together. So I, it's a very bizarre wrestling connection um, through my grandfather. But that's how the fandom got started in my family. My grandfather would watch wrestling all the time. Absolutely loved it. He was a big body guy. And so was my dad. And, you know, that that was engraved in me as a kid. And it just continued on and never it never left. And so when you're growing up, like you, you know, this story, you know, this backstory, you probably don't really know who Bruno is or how important Bruno was to the business. But what like when you start to watch, like who hooks you in? Who's the person where you're like, oh, uh, I'm starting to really understand what this stuff is. Uh, Hogan and Warrior for sure. Um, probably I would say that that WrestleMania was the first one that I had seen. Uh, so like, the, and you're young, you, you would be young at that point, right? Like I would be five. Yeah. yeah. 80, 1990. I would be, well, six, I would have been almost six at that time. But I remember like kind of vague memories of my father, you know, getting me out of bed to watch it in the mornings or we would stay up late to watch it. Uh, so probably 1989 was like, my dad would like talk about wrestling and have it on. And I have some sort of memory, but 1990, 91, 91 was probably the year that I became, fanatical about it Mm -hmm. and it's because my father took me to SummerSlam 91 at the garden and the match that I I was all into the 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 main event was ridiculous right it was uh Iron Sheik uh he was it was Colonel Mustafa General Agnon and and Sergeant Slaughter versus Hogan and Warrior with Sid as the ref Mm -hmm. and I was dying to see Warrior and Hogan I mean that was it I mean for for a five-year-old six-year-old kid you're you're freaking out you're like it's Warrior you know you got you got to see it 
And the match that made me love wrestling was perfect and hard. That was it. That was the match. And at that moment, I knew that there was something really different about what these guys were doing. And it's and it's crazy to say that as like a six, seven year old, whatever I was 1991. I got to do the math now. Uh, Seven, maybe. So it was really crazy because I remember seeing like these guys are smaller. They're not cartoon like. But my God, this match was great. And it it resonated in my head. And then Flair coming into WWF, that was it. I I mean, I just got committed at that point. (laughs) That's a funny time frame because that's really the first. Well, I have two stories of where I kind of started to follow the business uh, rather than just the in-ring. Like I knew like like that's what kind of kept me going was. I, I heard this uh, this radio show. I, I my dad would bring home the old uh, national magazines so or newspaper oh, wow. so I could see Dave's writing. So there was this inside stuff that I kind of knew existed, but I didn't really have an avenue to get into it. But that flair situation, I was listening to, and this is a, a, people who don't or who don't have this experience probably think that this is really dumb, but. Back in the day, we had cable and you don't you don't have the, you know, if you're on DirecTV, the hundreds and hundreds of channels, you just had your local cable uh, options. And one of I think every cable company had to have like this channel that was for community outreach, like for local stuff, public access. Well, but there was this other channel, which was literally a schedule, which would scroll words and it would just have updates on things going on in in your community. You know, here, if you need help for this and there's just a scrolling text and it would just repeat over and over and over is like white text on a blue background. But because like who would actually read that if you're just seeing words and and then silence like there's no sound so they would run this radio network uh, underneath all the text and so it'd just be like you're listening to a radio station on this you know this schedule of, of a cable channel and then i was clicking through it one you know one day and all of a sudden i heard this guy's voice and he started talking about wrestling and i was like whoa what what is this and so it was a guy by the name of uh, Dynamite D. He just passed away uh, not too long ago. Actually, it's probably been a few years now. But he, uh, there was this gym called Slammers. What, was so he I, a San Jose guy? Was no, I, th- I. I'm almost sure this was in SoCal. Okay. And so yeah, so I don't know why like that was the radio station that that we got. It was, like, but I don't think it was like an actual FM station. I think it was sort of built for all of these cable things that 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 they had to have. So he he would talk about wrestling, and as I learned a little bit more about this stuff, what I'm realizing is that I think he was literally just reading the Observer, like oh, to give so out all of his stuff. But so I knew about the flare thing, like literally. I want to say in, um, I don't know, it would have been right after the the slamber or not slamber, the Super Brawl match with uh, Fujinami. And even before the Great American Bash, like there was talks about Flair and WCW not seeing eye to eye. So, you know, I'm, 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 I'm I think I'm like eight years older than you. So I'm a little bit older. But just listening to him talk about that Ric Flair is unhappy with WCW and that there's this thing about, you know, him and Jim Hurd not getting along and these guys are fighting behind the scenes and Rick may go to WWF at the time. And for me, I was like, oh, wait, Flair and Hogan, like that's the match. 
Pro Wrestling Illustrated for the last, you know, seven years has been telling me this is the dream match. And I and I was already a big Flair fan at that point, but you just never thought that it was going to happen. So like that was like where I was like inside and it was it was that I think that's probably why I'm still a wrestling fan today is because of that moment. Well, it resonates, right? It's something I ha- you hang on to. I mean, it, my, my situation is kind of similar because, yeah, you, you're a couple years older. And for me, it was always like when it wasn't a WWF guy, it almost felt like you shouldn't be seeing it. I remember driving out of this is before Flair came to. So this is probably 1990. Uh, my family, we would drive down to Florida every summer. And those summer vacations were miserable, right? We would pack up this this uh, my father had a 88 Pathfinder. The whole family would be in this thing. All the kids in the trunk, right? Because it's the, it's the late 80s. You, could, you still did that. We were all in the trunk and we stopped off someplace in Virginia and it was a gas station. We go in and they had all the wrestling magazines in there. And I begged my father. I'm like, I, can I get one? And he's like, yeah, just pick it up, whatever. And on the cover, I, I can't remember what it was. There were two of them. And it's that legendary, there was a legendary photo. It's just flair covered head to toe in blood. I mean, just crimson mask, his hair is all red. And it says headed to WWF question mark. I can't remember at all what magazine this would have been. And I was was like, can you get this? And he got it. And all I don't remember anything in the issue. Only thing I remember is the cover and how disappointed I was that it was black and white. The whole magazine. (laughs) But that year, because I believe he debuted sometime in. Well, it was probably September-ish, right? He probably showed up. 91, 1990? Yes. It would have been... Uh, yeah, I think that's the time. Frame. Yeah. So, yeah. So this makes sense because it was summer vacation. I saw the magazine. Now it's school and a kid had uh, another magazine. It was Hogan standing there with the WWF title and Flair standing there with the WCW title. And he was telling everybody like, oh, the match happened already. You know, like, but it didn't. He was, but we were so intrigued as kids because Rick Blaze, this guy, you've never really seen him on TV here on the Northeast uh, as a kid, right? You weren't putting on TBS. You didn't really, it wasn't as popular but the fact that this guy had a title belt and he was going to challenge hogan and we would have arguments as to who's better and we didn't even know really at the time you know what does a six-year-old know about who's better but we we were fighting flair's better hogan's better yeah and, and it was it was really an experience because now we have everything accessible right if a kid at seven years old wants to know who this guy is he could find him somehow he could ask you know on google you go on google you go on youtube whatever but for us it was almost like this this secret dirty magazine that we were sharing around that, you know, it had flair covered in blood and the road warriors, uh, you know, these, these are not things that we saw uh, traditionally before they showed up in WWF because we weren't exposed to that. So it is October 22nd, 1991 is the first match flair and Hogan at the garden in nose in Dayton, Ohio. And this was actually, uh, it wasn't even on the marquee. I think they just decided that this is where they were going to have their like practice match before oh, they started it. their their big run. But the second one, and I I feel you know terrible, for, but I was still too young to actually go out there on my own. My dad wasn't going to take me to see you know to see wrestling at that point. But it, they their second one was in Oakland, California, which is only you know sixty miles away from me. And uh, there's actual YouTube handheld cam footage of it. And they do the finish where Flair pins Hogan uh, with the foreign object. Wow. And so you see 
like Flair is about to get his hand raised and then they, you know, they the other ref comes and his disqualification. But the arena goes crazy when they think that they've just seen a title change. And then, uh, you know, then after the referee comes in, no DQ. And then Flair starts beating up Hogan and then the Bayface come in and make the save. But like. I did. I there are two. There are two matches that I kick myself for not trying to go to, or you know, make an effort to go to. So that was that's probably number one. But number two is Eddie Guerrero, Brock Lesnar, which was at the Cow Palace. Wow, uh, in San Francisco, and I was you know I had young kids at that point, so I, I it probably wasn't wasn't going to be able to go to that one. But uh, those are the two where if I could go back in time, I would figure out a way to to go to those shows because they both happen in the Bay Area. So, so I I was at the garden match for Flair Hogan. So that would have the, been I'm scrolling through the first time they were they went to the garden. Um so it would have been November thirtieth. Yeah, it was nineteen ninety one. Yeah. So it was after Thanksgiving. Um we were there. I don't remember anything from that card at all. Uh, because it was it was not a TV taping, so it was you know the the lighting was terrible, obviously, because it's it's the garden still. But it wasn't it was taped for MSG, but it wasn't like a full TV taping, so you could tell that it was it wasn't their production, right? Uh, but we were in such terrible seats, and at the time, it was still not that kid friendly. I, I remember kind of being intimidated that there were these grown men just screaming and cursing. And you're talking, I mean, you're not talking 1978, you know, you're talking 1991. Uh, it wasn't, it's, it, it, it was such a big difference from SummerSlam that same summer to seeing, you know, a house show where I don't think we enjoyed it or appreciate it because we thought it was going to be like what we saw at SummerSlam and it was the complete opposite and we were all discouraged. I don't think I went to another house show. Uh, I went to a couple shows at the garden, but I don't think I ever went to another house show at the garden after that. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, it was it was so I mean, not that I wouldn't go now. Right. And now I'm talking as a kid. I, I, I've i been to a garden house show as an adult, but uh, I don't think we ever went because my father, and my uncle were just so disappointed that it didn't. It looked I mean, it looked like crap. And that's what they kept saying on the on the way home. But for us, we're 20 minutes from the garden by train. So we were just it was such an easy way for us to go. So uh, back to your your wrestling <laughs> origin story. So um, when did you sort of when did your relationship with wrestling change from being that fan with the you know the kid eyes to oh this is like an actual business and there's stuff going on here that I never knew about like when did that like how old were you when you started to realize all of those things were happening probably dave ruined it for me i, I would blame dave uh for that uh i so a friend of mine lived on Long Island and he would give me tapes of John Arezzi. Oh, wow. Uh, so I I, rem- I I probably could pick it up here, here in Queens, but he would always because he lived far out there and he was a big wrestling fan and he would have these tapes. So we would go over whenever I would go over like once a month or whatever. He would give me all these tapes. He would record them for me. So I was I guess John Arezzi was probably the first time I heard, you know, like the inside terms being used. And, uh, you know, we, we, I always knew that it was like a wink and a nod, like, oh yeah, it's real or it's not real, you know, but I, I understood what it was, Mm -hmm. uh, just the curtain wasn't pulled back as far as the business went for me until probably I started hearing John Arezzi talk about it. Um, and then just some of the wrestling magazines. And then of course online, uh, I, I was probably 
early teens when I got really deep into the forum culture and just reading about, you know, this one's going here and this one's going there. So Internet. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. uh, Early Internet was was the beginning of like, oh, well, this is interesting. They're talking about how much what the ratings are, what the gate was. And you start kind of putting that together. Yeah, no, that, that that that's perfect. Like, I'm, you know, I didn't really get the Internet until I was uh, in college. But the Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels thing, which, you know, Dave really blew that story out. And the and, Montreal situation. Right. That was my first sort of understanding of, of how powerful the Internet could be in, in, in our wrestling world is because there were several websites that took everything that Dave wrote and posted it on their website because there was like, you know, they, uh, Dave's newsletter was was still only print back then. So, you know, he didn't have a way to get it out to, to folks. But uh, so they would just like literally I, and I'm assuming they had to just like unless there was some sort of way to yeah to cut photocopy it or well, something like, you know it's funny because i became um i i became a defender of dave when i was probably like in middle late middle school because i remember specific because i used to get the observer you know like my my cousins were subscribers so i That's used awesome. to just i used to read the observer probably 98 and i specifically remember there was a kid in school and he was telling me that dave melcher said bob something i forgot what it was you know, it could be a 5,000 different things that Dave Meltzer maybe said. Oh, yeah. And I was so angry. I'm like, no, he didn't say that because I just read it. And he's like, <laughs> no, I read it, too. I'm like, look. And I pulled it out of my backpack. I had the observer with me and I put it down. And I'm like, this is what you're because I read the whole thing like the day before. Yeah. And I was he was shocked that I had this thing in my possession. <laughs> you know, yeah, I was 14 years old. I have a copy of the observer in my back pocket. Uh I, it's it's really interesting how how the internet really changed fandom, mm-hmm. uh, and and I feel like in a weird way, yeah, it created it, but it also created this great divide amongst people. Yeah, well, absolutely. Like, did it, it's so funny though that your story is essentially what happens today, like all the time, like yeah. getting misquoted. Yeah. Like we we just uh, as we're recording this on on a Sunday uh, Sunday morning, but. I I did a show with Dave last night and it's so weird how people hear things and then tweet about it. And I'm like, wait, we didn't say that. And then I, you know, I I asked people like, did we say that? And they're like, no, you guys said it like this, but people hang on to certain things and certain words and that, you know, and then especially if they don't really listen to the full thing, they don't have the full context, but you know, with Twitter, everybody has an opinion on stuff. So it's, it's so funny how, you know, even back then you're sort of fighting that war. You're always fighting that war. You're always because, um, and that's one of the things that bothers me the most about, about what I do and, and, and you know, what you, what you guys do and everything where, it's not about the words you use. It's about how you said said those words. Right. And you could be misquoted, but it's an actual quote. Yeah. And now you're you're in the position of having to defend the words you used. That's being uh, misinterpreted, you know, and, and, and that sucks when when that happens. My, what I tell people is this. I'm not your new source. Right. I am not that guy. I'm not. I don't consider myself a journalist, even though we report news and we get you know, people within WWE tell us stuff and AEW. I'm not, that's not my main thing. I'm, I'm doing an entertainment product. And at times I'm going to slip and I'll say something stupid, but it's not intended to be anything negative. 
you it, it could come off bad. But let me explain. Give me the opportunity to explain what I said rather than, you know, attacking me. It's way more difficult when you're Dave and you have, you know, 5000 eyeballs on you every second or, or hundreds and hundreds of thousands of eyeballs on you every second to have to kind of do that. But that's the worst part of this is saying something in the moment and then having to go back and break down your and explain what it, what you meant. Yeah, I think the thing like I could deal with most everything except for the gotcha stuff. The gotcha stuff is so frustrating to me and I, I'm going I'm going to generalize here. But, you know, I, my guess is that the people who love the gotcha stuff are just so insecure about things like, you know, and, and that's the thing that that makes me upset. Like, I don't really care. You know, people are going to listen and I'm sort of shielded because Dave is, is a gigantic target. So I'm, you know, I, I'm shielded <laughs> from, from really any, any feedback, but still that, that's stuff that bothers me. But anyways, let's get back to, uh, to the, to your story. So at some point you become more connected, I'm assuming to, to wrestling. Once you learn exactly what it is, where does the journalism radio piece come in? Like, I'm assuming that you also were a, for, uh, a big, big fans of other things. It wasn't only wrestling, but how does like the, the journalism, the radio, where does that piece of, of what you want to do with your life come in? Uh, I was a huge radio fan uh, growing up, he, growing up here in New York. You obviously Howard Stern was a, was yeah. a juggernaut. Right. Best. And I, I would, I, I, I would secretly listen to Howard every morning. I would wake up early before school. I would listen to Howard from like six to seven. And then I had a little Walkman with me as I, as I mean, I'm probably in fifth grade. I was listening to Howard. So uh, I, the radio thing always fascinated me because I thought it was so powerful that you could go on this thing and talk and, and you're you're capturing people's attention. They're intrigued in, into what you're saying. So it was definitely Howard. Uh, a couple other people, I you know, I always I was always interested in it. But really, uh, IATA was the launching path because I thought it was so cool that you could do this on the Internet. And uh, the morning guy of IATA, I later on became very good friends with. My wife's actually uh, his his daughter's godmother. So it's, it's a weird connection here. But Chauncey Hayden used to do the morning show and he did a shock jock show. He was a stern guy too. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would hear him and I was like, oh, this is crazy stuff. You're, you know, you're a teen and you're into it. Uh, and then I would listen to Dave and Brian and then um, definitely uh, Leo Laporte played a huge influence on my career because oh, yeah. I actually didn't go into the wrestling side of things when I started podcasting. I went into the technology side and more of like the comedy uh, style podcast side. So wrestling was never intended to be uh a career of anything. It was just something I really liked. But when, uh, when I saw, you know, when we started doing adding more shows, which we'll go into later, I'm sure uh, it, things changed, but really it was Howard Stern. I would say the three major influences on my career is Howard, Lee Laporte, and uh, most likely probably Dave. And I would also say the guys from live audio wrestling. Mm. Cause that was a big thing. Cause I, I, you know, other than John Arezzi here in New York, it was it was not a thing that you heard regularly on the radio because sports radio didn't cover pro wrestling, rarely. So for for me, I, I think I discovered live audio wrestling somehow through the forums online and I would listen to, you know, whatever they were on AM 660 
in Toronto, I would they had a digital feed, which nobody was doing at the time. You could listen online. Yeah. So I would listen to them on a on a, a through my real player, you know, and just listen to the show <laughs> live. So I got into that. I also I love Art Bell. I'm a you know, uh-huh. I, I love to listen to bizarro conspiracy theories. Not that I subscribe to the beliefs, but I find it entertaining to hear about aliens and and Bigfoot and stuff like that. So those probably those four were the biggest influences into into doing what I'm doing. No, it's a, it's an awesome story. I, I think we're, we are sort of like connected, even though we live so far away. I, we, you know, we're, we're sort of living parallel in a sense with radio and influence. Like I still feel now current radio I, I, I'm I'm sort of out of that. Like I don't actually listen to the radio anymore, but I feel like podcasts and audiobooks and those kind of things are really an extension of what radio is. And you mentioned, you know, it's such a powerful medium. I still think it's the it's it's my favorite medium. Mine too. Like like with television, television is great too, but you have to pay attention so much more to television. Like I can listen to a podcast. And clean the house, like at the same time. And all of a sudden, cleaning the house, which is a chore, is sort of enjoyable now because I'm mm-hmm. listening to something that I enjoy. I, I do think it's it's such a versatile medium, and that's probably why I, I do this stuff. But okay, so so uh, you you are getting into radio. When did you like? Did you have a internship at a radio station, or was like? Because when I when I got into it. Um, there, there's the major sports station out here in the Bay Area. It's called KMBR 680. It's like the biggest Bay Area uh, sports station. It covers long and wide. Like if you're in certain areas of of uh, states outside of California, you could still hear it, it, it depending. Like it's a really big deal. And so when I'm in college, I, my, I'm so tunnel vision focused on doing something in sports uh, journalism that I'm like, okay, I need to intern at this station. I don't want to intern at the news station. I don't give a crap about the news. I want to do sports, 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 sports. So I'm putting off this internship until like almost the last possible, like my, my counselor's like, when are you going to do this internship? I was like, God, I got it. Don't worry about it. I got it. And secretly I'm like, Oh crap. I'm actually running out of time. If I don't get this, if I'm not chosen to be an intern at KMBR, I may not graduate on time. So it's to that, to that level. And so I go in and I talk to the, the guy who's running it. And what I realize is that my fandom for KMBR, like not, you know, it, not everyone is just looking so to be hardcore sports guy. Like they, they all want to be a little bit more into news. They want to be a little bit more flexible. And I, because I was so tunnel visioned, that actually helped me get the internship. So I get the internship. I work at the radio station. Lots of great memories. But at some point when I'm there, and this is right before I'm actually getting into the real world. You know, I got I, I was working part time, but I was had a full boat of classes all the way through uh, until I graduated. So I'm I'm looking at this going like, oh my God, what I realize is that actual radio is so slow moving. And for someone like me who was like 22, 23, what I would actually have to do is I'd probably have to go to like the small market and then kind of establish myself there and then jump to a bigger market and then go to a bigger market. And I was like, that is not anything that I want to do. I want to stay in the Bay Area. And so I just realized, okay, that's not what I'm going to do. And then I just started working uh, for uh, tech companies at, at that point. But like, when you're deciding what you want to do, like, what is your pathway to get to 
doing what you do today? So I, you know, it's funny because one of my friends reminded me, uh, probably last week on how much I enjoyed radio. And I, and it's, it's one of those things where it was never like front and center. Like I didn't have WNBC posters in my bedroom, you know, <laughs> which, which now I probably would hang that thing up in my, in my studio. Yeah. But I, I, I was never that, but he was like, no, you always love this. He, I would, we would do pretend radio shows on my, on my, on my boom box. You know, we would hit play and record yeah. and just record us, you know, doing something. Um, I, I, I don't, I attempted to do an internship at 92.3 K rock, probably the end of senior year. And they had required, I think the requirement was that interns had to be there at four 30 in the morning. And you didn't even know what you were going to do that day. And it just seemed like such a chaotic, like, like you said, it's so chaotic. And the top and the, the possibility for you to go from interning at, at K rock, which is a Howard Stern station here in New York to becoming an on-air talent are so slim where I thought about doing a small market thing. There was a station in Westchester. There was a bunch in Long Island, but I, I just never you know, committed to it. it. It wasn't, I had no intention on be, in becoming a career until mm-hmm. the economy collapsed in 08, 07, 08. That's when I kind of got in my head like, hey, there's this thing called a podcast. Mm-hmm. I think I could do this. That and podcasting in oh seven oh eight is still very in its early. infancy. Yeah, so that was a big bet. That was a huge bet, um, and it was a bet out of desperation. I, I worked the night. So my background is, uh, I I was in. I was doing a lot of early early in my twenties. I played the stock market. I not. I did okay for that as a as an idiot twenty year old nineteen year old <laughs> that knows nothing. I did okay, and after I decided that I, w- I wanted to do something with the money. And I opened up a couple party supply businesses here in New York. I ended up selling it around the time the economy was falling right before, which I was very lucky to get out. But I'd taken an IT job at a um, it's a company called Max. They make staplers. It's a Japanese staple company. So they make these guys make uh, staplers and they make heavy duty construction rebarring tools, which is such a big, big spread there. So I got a great job with them. I'm 20 four years old. I had just gotten married, just bought my house, bought a car. I get this great gig. The money's great. And the economy collapses and they let me go. Wow. So I, I mean, now I got, you know, I got, I, I have a house that I cannot afford as a, you know, an idiot 23 year old ended up going into this house that I can't, I can't afford it. I can't afford my car. Thank God. My wife has a, you know, she's a teacher. She has a great job. She was able to kind of be the backbone of this, but it was a struggle. Um, I, I, I strangely, I a group of my friends became really well-known stand-up comics uh, has nothing. It just it just high school friends mm-hmm. that they all became very successful at this. So at, they were their careers were growing at the time. And one of them came over to me. He's like, hey, have you have you ever thought about doing a podcast? Because I had the space. He was living in a small apartment. He's like, listen, why don't we do a podcast? It'll be a comedy thing. We'll do it once a week, one hour, two hours a week. Uh, we'll call it the guys from Queens show. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So we just did it for our group of friends mm-hmm. to 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 just pop them and, and you know, say stuff about them to make them laugh. And that, that kind of became this network <laughs> eventually. So who who's the comic? Just so people I'm assuming people are like, oh, I wonder who he's talking about. Yeah. So uh, Kunal Aurora, Casey Aurora, he, he's one of my good friends and Tim Dillon. Uh, later on, Tim Dillon came on board. Tim Tim just did Rogan's show. Wow. Uh, Tim came, I think, 2011. He did a show with us 
And that was the beginning when when I met Tim, that was the beginning of the concept of I could keep adding these shows and, uh, you know, let's see what hits. And this, you know, he did. I think we did it like seven episodes with him and I think he moved. But that was kind of the beginning of, wow, you know what? There's there are people with tremendous pull and tremendous uh, talent that, you know, my in my small circle that I wanted to highlight and just grow with them. So is that sort of the the same network that you currently run today? Yeah. So GF Key Network, uh, it stands for Guys from Queens. Oh, uh, I didn't. You said yeah. that. I didn't even put that together. Yeah. That, I mean, that that's really that's it was literally just a group of my friends just doing uh, a podcast. And the show concept that we did was somewhat like the Howard Stern show where we had we had the second mic be a stand up comic. We had my wife doing the news. Uh, we had a fourth mic that was, you know, like we would beat up on him and I would host a show and we would have guests on. And it was a two and a half hour podcast that we would do every week. But the thing that I I never felt that I was good enough to do well in this. Mm-hmm. Right. I never went into this thinking I'm really good at this. I have this amazing talent. Uh, I, 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 I could be an entertainer of sorts. I never thought that I, I I did it because it was fun for me and it was keeping me busy. And the intention was, well, maybe I could get a job because I would say like, oh, I'm unemployed. Maybe somebody's hearing this in my field in IT that would say, hey, you know what? I like them. I know somebody that's looking for something. So that was kind of my goal. It was never to make money or anything. And I and I honestly thought I, I wasn't good. And I and I definitely sucked at that time. But the the thing that I wanted to do was just smoke and mirror the whole thing. So we started doing video. And our video production, even 12 years ago, 13 years ago, was above what people were doing. And that really brought the eyeballs to us. That is that is an amazing. So like, but how do you I mean, you say you have an uh, uh, IT. So there's a know how of technology and you're probably reading things about how to do things better. But like, where does even the know how to get into video at that point like where does that come from did you just like oh my gosh i need to read up on this or i'm just like 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 what was the what were the steps that it took for you to get there i'm a big geek uh (laughs) you know uh i'm a big time nerd i love technology uh and i think you know leo laporte was kind of the background the the backbone of me kind of jumping into this because leo uh san francisco guy right he's 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 from there uh, he has something called the Twit Network. And at the time when he was doing this in 2008, 2007, nobody was doing what he was doing. And he would talk about how simple it is. And all you need is a webcam and a decent microphone. You don't even need a mixer. Yeah. Uh, and you could go on and, and go live. And the live thing always intrigued me because, you know what? I'm doing it live because it's radio. I don't want to edit. I don't want to do any of this. Whatever we do is out there. So we really kept a tight show because we didn't want to edit. I knew I didn't really know how to edit. So I think I hooked up a couple of webcams. I I just went online. I saw how to do it. And at one point, it was just one shot, one camera, a couple microphones and a mixer. I think, you know, I just got it right the first time by luck and it just rolled from there. But really, the the driving force was broadcasting on a website called Stick'Em. I don't know if you're, you're familiar with it, but it was. It was a it was actually not our demo at all. It was teenagers that would go on to to video chat with other teenagers. That's essentially what the website was. However, they had Leo Laporte on there on their front page Hmm. and he was leaving that service to go. I think he signed an exclusive with with Ustream or somebody. And 
it just so happened. It was like our third broadcast on there. This guy, Andy Wombell, I think that's his last name. This guy, Andy, was the the program director for Stick'em. And he saw us. He's like, hey, he messed. He came in the chat. He's like, I'm going to put you guys on the front page. I really like how this looks. Here's my email. Send me an email. He put us on the front page and we had like 3000 people watching. Wow. And I sent them an email and he brought up the fact he's like, listen, Leo's leaving. And I saw that you do. We're talking about technology. Would you want to do a tech podcast on here? A tech show? It's like, yeah, hell yeah. And I got a couple bucks from it. And that's how the network started. It was just the right place at the right time. And these guys were really, uh, really pushing the product. He was Andy was a really nice guy. And I felt that he thought that we needed a little help. And he liked something that he saw. And he gave us that opportunity. And it just really blew up after that. That's a that's a great story. Uh, OK, I know we've already been talking for 40 minutes and change. So I do want to circle back to wrestling uh, and uh, and, and kind of close it down. But so back to wrestling, what is your if, if someone was to say the era, the, your favorite era, like if you're going to put on the WWE Network, like what time frame are you just going to go back to and put something on in the background while you're working? Uh, there's a couple. Um, I would say 97 is probably my favorite year in wrestling. Uh, I absolutely love 97. So I, I I always have something from 97 on or I'll go really early. I'll go like 90, 91, those two. But, I, you know, if I'm watching, it depends on what I'm watching. Like I go back to all those ECW shows still mm-hmm. every now and then just to just to remind myself how terrible they were in reality. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you have this nostalgia and you're looking back. You're like, oh, my God, it was so great. And you look at it and you're like, oh, my God, this was terrible. But uh I would say probably 97, 98, 99. That's my go to. That that is interesting because I think from a quality standpoint, 97 definitely holds up. 98 and 99 are a little bit more car crashy. Yeah, and, you know, they're they're delving into things that you couldn't delve into these days. Uh, so it's a little different. But um yeah, 97 is great. And I'm actually do, re-watching all of those 97 Raws right now for our podcast on, on the, the Patreon that we have. So it's, it's actually, been so much fun going back to that the, time. I uh, have the Observer Yearbook behind me right now. So I yes. have 97 and 93, and I just finished 97. Yeah, I'm not, I'm like 70% through it. But it's it's just that that the whole year, I mean, with the, if you add the UFC stuff, you add what's going on in Japan and Mexico, that is a very strong year just for information and business and stuff. OK, uh, another quick question. Favorite live show that you've ever been to? Oh, um, uh, that's so, such a great question. Uh, WrestleMania 10, for sure. Loved it. Lucky. Uh, I was there. Very for lucky. Yeah, to, to go to that show and still be as young as you were. Yeah, I was at WrestleMania 10. I was at what is the live show that I've been to. WrestleMania 20 was a lot of fun. Uh, experiencing New Japan at the Garden. That was a couple fun. years ago. Were you there? Yes, I was there. Oh, my God. That's so funny. I, I, I we were probably <laughs> I missed you. <laughs> there were so many people. I think I ran into Brian there for that one. Um, was it that or NXT? I can't remember. Um, you know what? Bro- NXT Brooklyn 2 was really good. Uh, was a lot of fun. I would probably I went to a bunch of Elks Lodge ECWs. Mm. Uh, I saw Bubba Ray Dudley nearly set a riot in that place. <laughs> so I, I would say, you know what? If I'm going back nostalgia, I'm still going to say SummerSlam 91 is my favorite show 
because it brought me into loving pro wrestling. I, I still really like that show. Summit Summit 91 is really good still. I can watch the main event should not have been the main event. Uh, it was it was a bizarro tag match where Warrior just leaves at yeah. one point. Yeah, <laughs> he just runs off. Yeah, because he's he tries to hold up Vince for more money before that yeah, show. <laughs> and Vince is like, okay, 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 just do the main event. And then when he comes back, he's like, oh, by the way, you're fired. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, just what a bizarre. You know what it is? It's such a bizarre thing to explain to people how much you love wrestling as an adult. <laughs> yeah. And I, I like with all the ridiculousness, but even now watching it and sometimes I could take myself out of the super fan and the guy that covers wrestling out of that mentality. And you look at this and you say, my God, they're so impressive. Even the guys that aren't, ma- you know, just covered in muscles. It's su- it's such an impressive athleticism. Uh, that you're showing off, you know, that, that nothing is like it. There's no other sport in the world that's like professional wrestling. Yeah, there, it's this weird mix of athleticism and, you know, soap opera and uh, like, a, I wouldn't even know how to describe it. But, but you know, at least when I was growing up, like the idea was that pro wrestlers were bigger than life. Like they were like, yeah. if you were to compare them, like I was like just as much of a Hulk Hogan fan when I was growing up. As I was a Michael Jordan fan, right? Yeah. Like, like they were uh, pro wrestling's a little bit different today in the way that they promote their guys. But back then, like that's what made it just seemed like, oh, why? How come not everyone is in, is into this like I am? It was also it was also an era where stardom, you know, wasn't a a common thing. Everybody's a celebrity now. You know, everybody has some sort of celebrityhood. If you're doing any kind of entertainment, there's there's a fan group about you. There's some sort of celebrityhood. You know, going back 30 years, you know, Michael Jordan was a once in a lifetime guy. Gretzky, Jordan, Hogan. Yeah. Uh, Warrior. And then you had, you know, later on, you had Austin and you had Rock. I, I think we are very lucky to be in this generation that experienced such a caliber of athleticism brought, you know, like the best of the best. But it's also the first time that we got to see such mainstream crossover with sports and mm-hmm. anything, you know, cable TV. Yep. We grew up in that era and it wasn't exactly. a thing. You know, these guys come once in a lifetime. Every 50 years, you'll you'll get a guy. I think Dave said that to you. He was talking about Bruno. I forgot who he was talking about. He said, you know, these guys come around once every 30 to 50 years, yeah, 50 to 30 years. And we saw it. We see we saw it in every sport. Pre-internet uh, I, was also interesting because, like you said, now everybody has a social media reach. But pre-internet, there, you know, the, only the creme de la creme who could sneak through to that celebrity. You know, you had to physically go to a movie to see or you had to physically pay money to, you know, to go to a play or something. But pre but now post Internet, it is so much easier. I mean, it's easier for us, which is why I like it. I can do a show on the Internet and send it out to people. But also celebrity changed post Internet as well. Oh, big time. All right. Well, let, let's end. Uh, actually, one more wrestling question. Then I'll, I, I want to send you some quarantine questions. But let's do it. Um, the product today. Do you would you consider yourself as big of a fan as you've always been? Do you enjoy the product as much as you always have? Or has your relationship with it changed? Uh, you know, it, it, <laughs> it, it's. It's a difficult question because uh, my mother always says this about me and, and it's almost a criticism 
where I like to make the things that I absolutely love in my personal life into a job. Mm hmm. And then I end up hating it <laughs> and I'm absolutely miserable. I haven't reached that point with wrestling yet. I'm probably watching the most wrestling I've ever watched in my life now uh, compared to prior to doing Matt Men. Uh, I, I, I think I watch more wrestling, more variety of wrestling. Uh, I don't think I, I'm not that crazy about the WWE product right now. I think, unfortunately for them, they have the best talent. Yeah. I, I don't think they've had this much of a talented roster ever in the history of, of, of the company. Uh, and not a knock against the talent, but I think that their product has gotten stale and it has nothing to do with their production value. I think the production value is high. Then it's not like keeping up with the trends, but it's become so static because they've always been the, you know, the way they shoot is how they shoot. That's how it's always been. And when you're, you when you're an institution like them, you're not quick to change. Um, they I, listen, I love NXT. I watch Raw. I watch SmackDown. I think SmackDown's a way better product than Raw. Uh, I, I love it. AEW. I think they've done a great job so far. Uh, I, I'm probably more heavy as far as when I watch wrestling. I think for Raw, I'll zone out a little bit. Yeah. I know Dave works out when he's watching Raw. <laughs> I'll, do, I'll, I'll send out my emails and stuff because it's such a long show. So I'm a little bit less engaged, I would say, with the WWE product than I am with AEW or what's happening in Japan. Um, I, I don't think I, I've I, I, I probably love wrestling more than ever, uh, but that's because I have to watch it because I'm doing two wrestling shows a week. I do not like watching Raw with Dave, not because of the workout piece, but he will not fast forward the commercials <laughs> if it is a match that is going on during the commercial break because he times all the matches. And so like, oh. you know, there will be this long match that could go through like two breaks. And it's like, why do we have to watch commercials? Like, Oh, I got to keep the time. I'm like, Oh my God, we just sit through this. You know what? I think, I think that should be an auctioned off experience <laughs> watching raw with Dave Meltzer while he's timing it and, and being, you know, and doing his job. Pay-per-views you know, are, are a lot more fun to watch with him um, because, you know, He's he's he he is very focused, obviously, because he's creating his thoughts on what is going on. And a lot of us are not watching it as focused as him. So we'll have conversations kind of in the background. But, you know, throughout the throughout the shows, we're always asking him questions about certain things. And he's, you know, he's watching and then he's answering us and he's watching. It's it's watching wrestling with him is, is pretty fun because you'll you'll be surprised at some of the things that he would pop for. Yeah. And then. Uh, like, cause he watches it still like a fan. Like he's like, yeah, literally the biggest wrestling fan out there. Right. And, and so I think that's a difference, right. Between what he does and what some other people do. I mean, listen to this, like Sean Ross Sapp is a good friend of mine. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, and I talk wrestling with him. I talk wrestling with Brian, but there's a lot of other guys that don't watch wrestling anymore as a fan. Yeah. And when you start doing that, your your perception of the product will change. And I always uh, and this is something I constantly see on the show. The people listening to the podcast and people subscribing to The Observer, those are not the casual fans. Those are not what made the boom happen. Right. So in order for that to happen, you know, for me to give a fair evaluation, like when we do the watch alongs, which you called into a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, uh, that is the purest way I'm watching. I, I ever will watch wrestling is because I'm having fun with people I like, we're talking about wrestling, we're, we're making jokes, we're not watching it and taking down notes. Yeah. And, 
you know, my experience when I watched a show and I and, and I got yelled at in the chat room constantly because people constantly tell me, like, you like that, that you thought that was good. And I'm like, yeah, man, I loved it. <laughs> and then I watch it the following day and I don't have the same experience because I'm watching it alone with a critical view of what's totally. happening. It is a different experience. And I, like you said, my favorite way to watch these shows are with other people because it should be a social event. It shouldn't be me watching by myself, watching for every small thing that they do wrong. And look, the, the, when, when you review a show, if you're going to talk about what happened on AEW, because you want to make sure that your review is thorough, you are going to be a little nitpicky yeah. on, on things. It's just natural when you're critiquing anything. But if, if you're going to ask me what's my favorite time to watch something it's obviously with three or four people who i really like you know you get it you may get a alcoholic beverage or two in there as well and and liven it up and have some food like that is the experience that's how we watch the super bowl right like we're not watching the super bowl like i'm not when i watch football and i'm a diehard 49ers fan you know i i run a facebook group and and stuff i'm not what i'm not taking notes going like oh you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, he he was an extra two two tenths of a second in the pocket without getting the ball. Like, I don't care about that stuff. I mean, I ultimately I care about it because I'll read about it. But when I'm watching, I'm watching for the enjoyment, for the social experience of watching with my wife or with my my kids. And that's the fun of it rather than. But, you know, just the w- w- what we're doing today, uh, we kind of have to watch a lot of this by ourselves. Yeah. And it's not as fun. But no, your watch along thing. Someone had asked me the other day when I actually when I did the watch along, they said, what is like, what is the goal? Like, why would people watch that? And I said, well, we're all watching wrestling right now by ourselves. If you jump into a chat room and you have hosts who you listen to, you feel like they're your friends and then you can type in the chat and they may read your message in the chat, but you're sort of experiencing it. It's not the same as human interaction one-on-one or in a room with people, but it is sort of like the extension of that. And I think that's what makes it attractive. It is. I I, I actually, the first time I was asked to do it, uh, I thought it's a bizarre thing. Why would you want to listen to me? Aren't you listening to the show? And a lot of people told me, they're like, yeah, but we do other things while we're watching it. I was like, you know what, let's try it. And it it always did well. And I find it interesting because you get all these different people because it's not just your community that's watching. It's people that are stumbling across this, uh, most likely looking for an illegal feed of the show. And they end up becoming listeners, which is always the fun part. But and I and I tell people, you got to take yourself out of the 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 hardcore fan thing. Yeah. And the, wrestling was never intended on watching alone and nitpicking because at the end of the day, look how look how, you know, the intention was before TV. You watch it in a crowd. Yeah. You don't go to. I mean, some people do. But most of the time when you go into these matches, you're going with your family, your friends, whatever. You're going with somebody and you're having a conversation and you're reacting together and ultimately talking about it with somebody else the exactly. next day, like the like the ultimate like water cooler conversation that yep. we used to have with work when people would watch broadcast television live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think for for a, a segment of the wrestling community, the, the viewership, they will watch this thing alone and they will nitpick it to the end. They will hate everything that happens. Everything is meh. And that that's fine, but they're still watching, you know, that that's how they're enjoying it. I guess they're I guess so. I I don't know. But there's a but the majority of people watching pro wrestling are watching it to have fun and have a good time. They're not they're not hate watching. And and I and I think that's a bizarre 
concept to watch something you don't enjoy. Yeah, totally. Unless it's your job. And then you could, you know, you watch and hate it as much as you want. <laughs> All right. A uh, couple of questions about the quarantine. Then we'll circle back to your podcast uh, and we'll kind of talk about it a, a little bit more uh, in detail uh, and then we'll be done with this. But OK, so give me your during this quarantine time when we're all just sitting at home give me a book movie podcast and tv show that you binged or maybe you and your wife binged uh that maybe a lot of people don't know about like like you know we're all trying to find something to do uh what have you read seen or listened to that that you thought was pretty good um i got so obviously everybody watched Tiger King because yes. it's ridiculous, right? <laughs> uh, I think that was the first thing that I did. Honestly, you know what? <laughs> that I that people think I'm ridiculous for this. My wife and I, because we're, we're not really we're not going to dinners, whatever. So we would have a glass of wine and go on TikTok. Oh and wow! Roll through TikTok. That became <laughs> our like content binge for the evening, and we we absolutely lo- we still do it almost every night where we're just like on TikTok, we're just scrolling through. And, and just watching some of these people that we that we that we enjoy, that became a thing for us. Um, I actually I reread. Uh, I actually I, I reread uh, the Nitro book by Guy Evans mm-hmm. uh, over quarantine because I, I was I'm pu- I'm doing something with WCW that I'm working on right now for a um, for like a mini series. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to kind of reread that, and I also reread uh, Brian's book Death of WCW. Yeah. So. Um, it's 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 been a very interesting change in my life because I'm a I'm big into going out. I work yep. in nightlife yep. uh, for my day job. So uh, for me, everything getting grounded and stopping really slowed down how I've done things over the last five years. And I really enjoy it now. I like that I've slowed down. I like that. I'm, I'm I, I, it's not required of me to be out every night, which is always a, a, a positive. Uh, but for me, it's just really been um just just doing that you know watching discovering new content and and finding something new also i've been doing a lot more podcasts i i I don't i think if the the pandemic had not happened i don't think i would be doing as many wrestling related stuff i don't think i would have joined f4w i think that's those are the positives that came out of this no i i you know i'm i'm the same way you know we got this patreon network that we created and like i couldn't have done that without basically working from home 24 7 like there's hours that i would be commuting that i wouldn't be able to channel into you know doing that kind of stuff so 100 percent, like you know there there are many reasons to be frustrated with the pandemic and i'm with everybody who is frustrated with this but also at the same time i found pockets of time to do things that i probably wouldn't have been able to do you know just trying to make that time useful um okay so you mentioned you're a night nightlife guy so i imagine at the, especially at the beginning it was probably hard to just really be disciplined and, and stay home but like how do you like what were some of the things other than obviously doing more podcasts which is work and it's a hobby that you love but were there other things that you and your wife did that you know to help your emotional and your mental stability during this time yeah, we, we spent a ton of money and renovated the house. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that the project. One. Yeah, the project. I mean, look, I got two young kids, so they've kept me so busy. Uh, and, and that's been uh, a, a, a 
positive to this is the fact that I've gotten to spend so much more time with them being home. Everybody was home all day, every day. So you got to kind of build a relationship that you normally wouldn't be able to. I have, you know, my, my kids are young, they're four and five. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it was great to, to be home with them and to do all these activities with them at home. We redid the yard. So they have this nice yard that they're playing in now. Uh, it, it really was recalibrating how you think and, and, and kind of saying like, listen, do I need to go out every night? Do I need to go to dinners? Do I need to go to the bar? Nah, not really. You know, and I'm not saying that we were, I'm a big, you know, I go to the bar every night, but you know, I have meetings almost every day. There's something happening. I'm going to some Rangers game or a Knicks game mm-hmm. by the garden, uh, going to baseball, which I absolutely love. So all these things got taken away. So you have to refocus how you do it. I, I really, I worked more than anything else. And uh, that was a big thing for me is just kind of figuring out, okay, well, I don't know if the hospitality business is coming back. I have to kind of re-strategize and see, okay, what's next? What can mm-hmm. I do next? That could be something that I'm going to enjoy. No, it's great. It's great advice. Um, okay. Let's recircle back to the Matt men pro wrestling podcast. You and rich, I, you know, I was on the show. You guys have a really good chemistry. I, I'm assuming you guys have known each other for a while. 22 years. Yeah. That's a that's that's a long time. Long time, to be, yeah. To be yeah. buddies. Yeah, we've been friends since we were teenage. I mean, early teens, and we met in uh, Taekwondo. That's how we met. And you both learned at that point that oh, there's another one. There's someone else like me who enjoys yeah. wrestling. I need to latch on to that person. We would we would um, sit on the phone and watch Monday Night Raw, and we would like we would almost become like a party line. We would each three way people. Everybody would three way somebody, <laughs> and we would have like this mini. It's amazing. We were doing a podcast, and we didn't even know it. Uh, we would just talk and watch wrestling in like ninety eight, ninety nine, while Raw was happening. Uh, we we really connected on that because he was the first person that I met that loved wrestling as much as I did. Yeah. Uh, and we, I mean, we became, we were good friends and then obviously you go, grow apart twenties, everything changes. And then one day we just met up for lunch and that was it. We decided we're going to do a podcast. Like it was, we had, I hadn't seen him in like eight years and we just went out for lunch. We had a, we had a, we had a couple of bottles of wine at lunch <laughs> and we're like, want to do this podcast? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. And that's how it started. You guys have been doing it for a while now, right? 2000, I think we did, we started the podcast in 2011. Yeah, that's officially. Yeah, so, and then it's gone through different versions. We used to have a third mic on. It was a very different show. I always describe it as, uh, I, I I like to have fun with the product. I like to have fun with the show and, and wrestling. It, it's two guys sitting at a bar having a conversation. We're, mm-hmm. we're silly about it, but we could also be serious. You know, it's, I don't, I don't feel that we were very structured but we like to have fun and you kind of get to know someone after 20 years. You kind of know how to throw stuff at them. Uh, that's that's kind of the magic behind it is the chemistry. Yeah. And everybody fits and, a different role. So we're, I'm, I'm going to get super nerdy with this. But to follow up on what you said, the most important thing I feel in doing shows with somebody else is to know their voice to know their thought process, to know their habits when they speak, to where, like with, with, with Dave, you know, people will, will hear me with Dave, but also with my podcast partner, John LaRocca, sometimes I've, I've like gotten so good at being able to anticipate the end of their sentence, I almost jump on it like a half a second too early. And I'm like, yeah. oh God, like I, I just missed it, but it was because I was so 
confident that I knew when the when they you know when they were going to stop speaking to follow up. But like that is that is such the key as far as I'm concerned when you do a podcast with somebody else is just understanding their voice and how they speak and what what phrases or words that they generally use before they're going to end a sentence like you really get in sync with them and that's uh that's where the chemistry with you guys fits perfectly too and and, and you know what was interesting so uh because of the pandemic rich wasn't coming in studio you know we decided that and it wasn't that you know we were overly paranoid about it we just felt that you know why take the risk? Because I was still going into the city. I was yeah. still going into my office every day, taking a subway. I didn't want to, you know, it's it's a crappy feeling to know that you gave it to somebody. And maybe, you know, maybe they're going to get really sick. Maybe they're not going to get it. You know, they're going to be fine. But we decided that for, for the time being, until we felt that things were getting better, why don't we do it remote? And why don't we do it online? That was, it took us, Garrett, I, I mean, honestly, it took us like three months. <laughs> I mean, for me, more than him. Yeah, because I'm all about the timing, too. And I've been sitting next to this guy and talking to him in person for all these years. And he's able to pick up on my mannerism. He's able to if he knows my movements, too, because he's looking at me and he, I don't he doesn't have that. Yeah. So now we're doing it on online. And of course, this Skype delay yeah, latency yeah, yeah, yeah. issues. Totally. You know, we're talking about I mean, I'm going crazy. I'm telling him I'm like, oh, look, your feed to me is 500 milliseconds. Make sure you're not on a VPN. Like we're getting very nerdy here. Right. But it took us a while to kind of get in that groove. And I honestly the last I want to say two months, we finally hit it. We finally got back into that groove. But now he's back in the studio most of the time. So, <laughs> you know, no, but it, it is a different skill set for sure. Like when I'm doing shows, you know, a year ago when Dave and I are doing it in person, I can visually see when he is about to wrap something up and I could see his face change when he's getting excited or when yeah. he's getting frustrated. And those are visual cues that definitely help you in, in the chemistry. And when you don't have those visual cues, now I got to turn on this other thing, which is I have to super hyper focus with my ears and understand tone. And and so his tone is really what replaces his facial reactions. Right. And so you got to get so in tune with it, which is hard. And I and I totally get, uh, you know, doing this thing over Skype or we're, we're using something called Squadcast. And I totally get why sometimes you hear an abrupt ending to a sentence and then there's like a three second delay it's because the other person's like uh, uh oh now i gotta go mm-hmm. you know we do the, the the podcast with john moxley and his the way that he speaks is he's a very thoughtful guy but he likes to say something and then put a three and a half second pause before he then goes into something else like that's just the style in which he talks and sometimes <laughs> I will take that to mean that he's done. And so I'll start and then he goes again. But it's just because, you know, we've done we've done a bunch with him and I'm much better at at understanding his vocal cues. But still, like if I was doing that show with him in person, I would never jump on his word because I would see physically see when he's ready to to, to stop. Yeah, you know, and with Rich, I mean, we've had conversations where he, he said like, hey, listen, you got to slow it down a little bit. Because I'm not anticipating in my mind, I, I could see him, but that tiny bit of delay will will really affect the flow of it. So he's like, just you got to pause a little because I'm 
he's not hearing what I'm hearing in my head. Yeah. Yeah. So and he can't and he can't figure out if I'm done or I'm not done. And same for him, I, even though we have video, it's still not the same. So he, we have to constantly remind each other. There's a little bit of a delay. It's not the same flow. Let's give ourselves little breaks to see if the other one's going to go into it. Yeah, no, that that is. I mean, it's great that you guys have those conversations. Some people might get a oh, little yeah, he'll, offended. He'll, he'll, <laughs> you know? No, you know what? He, we we would after the show, we could go to a bar and he could he could you know in the most crude New York way, he'll he'll tell me to you know, can you slow down a little bit? Yeah, you know. And yeah, you know yeah, yeah. I mean, and we just have a drink and that's it. I mean, we. But you know, that's a twenty-something-year-old relationship. Sure, sure. He's, he's the godfather to my son, so it's awesome. It's a very different. It's a very uh, unique uh team you know that you really don't see too often when you when you're doing a show like this all right i kept you on way longer than i said but i really enjoyed this tell people how they can find your podcast with rich uh gfknetwork.com you can find uh matman is available anywhere just look at matman podcast we're on youtube right now we're on uh, f4w online you can go to wrestlingobserver.com we're on there every week every thursday the show drops uh, around 6 p.m uh, we cover all things pro wrestling. We like to have fun. We also do these watch alongs like today. We're recording on a Sunday in about three hours. I'm going to be live tonight doing a watch along for the Illumination Chamber pay-per-view. Uh, every, I'm pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Andrew Zarian, Instagram and Andrew Zarian, wherever, wherever you are, you can find me. All right, man. Thank you very much for jumping on this thing. Uh, Listen, with me. I absolutely love this. I, I, I would love to do a part two, but your story on my show. I want to do that. Absolutely. That, that, that. that would be tremendous. Awesome. A lot of fun. All right. So uh, thanks to Andrew. Uh, I'm Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out.